So I remember this, um, one of my shaping, most shaping, transforming childhood memories I have was the first time I get kicked out of a friend's house. Anybody ever had that kind of family? So here's the thing. I, um, I was one of those kids, a stereotypical pastor's kid. So I watched things I wasn't supposed to be watching. I was learning all the words I wasn't supposed to be learning. And what happened was, over the years went by, I'd make friends, and some of them came from different households than I did. Um, and Pastor Rick ran a good household. Let's just say that some of you guys are already going to start throwing stones at him, okay? It's not his fault, okay? It's my fault. He ran a great house, but I didn't respond to what the Lord was calling me in that season of life. So I went to this kid's house. He was my friend. And what happened was I didn't realize he was a homeschooled kid. He wasn't exposed to a whole lot. Any homeschoolers in the room? Give a shout out. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. Amen. I love you. Stay proud because it's awesome. In my day, homeschoolers were um, a different breed. I think they're better now. But the, the homeschoolers at the time just didn't know much, and they weren't exposed to very much outside of the family walls, and maybe church was their big social event during the week, which is awesome. I had no idea how little exposed to the darkness my friend was, and we're talking like third grade here, okay? So when I found out, I got a, I sniffed, and I could tell, like, oh, he don't know nothing. So I was like, oh, you know this word? You know that word? Oh, let me tell you about this movie. And I was telling him about all the movies I watch and all this kind of thing, and his eyes were lighting up. He's like, oh, oh, oh. And he was just bamboozled by, with all the darkness that I was throwing at them and how cool I thought it was. Little did I know, he told his parents the next day, because great relationship with his parents. So he's like, mom, you won't believe the movies uh, that Mark Stinton is watching. And he starts going off and blah, blah, blah. The mom was livid. Calls Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Martha and tells them, Mark is never allowed in our home again, <laughs> which was awesome, right? I mean, I just laugh at it now. At the time, it felt a little bit strange, but it was like, why can't I go to your house? Anyway, but I became that influence that families were trying to protect me, protect their kids from, right? And I was the pastor's kid. So this is a strange situation. But I remember going into different households. I don't know if you had these. I had those families, family friends that I'd go to their house, and it was just joyful. And you step into the door, and there's just joy, and it was fun. Usually they're loud. It's like the loud families that have the most fun. Isn't that true? Portuguese families in the house, right? Yeah, there they are. There they are. I was waiting for it. But it's true. The loud families have the most fun, and you step into the house, and like the culture, the vibe of that family radiates and it just it's contagious and you become excited and I remember having one of my best friends growing up their big thing was food the dad was a chef and a very good one at that and my best friend learned the ways of his father and every time we'd go over they were meals that I would have never dreamed of having right on a, on a regular Friday night and so I was used to my mom had four boys in, in five years so she was like Boom, quick lasagna, quick spaghetti, get these kids fed. They're like, we're inhaling food at this point. And we'd go over, I'd go over to their house, these friends, and they'd be like, Mark, sit down. We're going to teach you about the right way to cook a sirloin steak. And when you see the, the, little, the redness on the side, and they're teaching me stuff, I'm like, whoa. I thought you just threw it in the microwave and they're good, right? So there's so much really cool things that we've, I've seen different families thrive in. And this is what we're talking about, is we're talking about something called family culture. Family culture. Every family has a culture. Some of them are more strict. Some of them are loose and more playful. Some families um, are really big into ethnic heritage, and you see that in the family culture, like the way that your, your ethnic culture plays into your traditions and the things that you love and the things that you do and express yourselves. Um, but some, some families are just shaped by circumstance, and it feels like we're just hanging on by a thread, and what the love that we find between each other is that we've all survived something, <laughs> that there's an experience that ties us all together, and that becomes part of our culture. 
And so for every family, we have a unique fingerprint in our communities because every, not just you have a good a fingerprint and you're unique, but your family is too. So I wonder, have you seen that with families growing up where you go into certain households and you, right when you step in the door, you feel a different aura. You feel a different presence, a, a different kind of culture in that family that you're not used to. And how do you adjust to that? So here's a quick definition, because this is where we're going to talk about. The Bible has a lot to say about family. And here's a quick definition of what a family culture is. It refers to the unique combination of values, expressions, experiences that shape how members of that family interact with each other and with the world at large. So I was in culture shock being in a homeschool family because it was so odd to me that parents wanted to protect their kids at a level of not allowing darkness in when I was just allowing darkness, like, woo, this is good time, right, as a third grader. And you guys don't judge Pastor Rick and Martha. This was all me. But here's the thing. Culture, when we talk about family, I should say, family in the West, we limit it to this, mom, dad, kids. But in the Bible, it actually talks about a thing called a household. A household is a little bit bigger. It is your family, but it's also people, if you were in um, had a status, you would have workers in the family. They're part of your household. It also includes um, people who are just loosely attached. Maybe in, in Hawaii, we have um, family and friends who are Hanaid, that it's like sort of an informal adoption, that people, you're just super close with people, and they just spend time at your hale as if they're ohana. And they are ohana. And to Hanai someone is just to really make them feel like that this is your home. And so for many of us, not, our household is bigger than just parents, kids, it also includes grandparents and uncles and aunties. It includes really close friends who help with our kids. And it includes um, people that we have denied and people who have just been connected to our family over the years. And so this idea of a family culture is something that I have seen in a personal way absolutely change atmospheres. And we're talking about when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your family, he can actually change the entire atmosphere of a home of a neighborhood, and beyond. Do you believe that? And I've seen it. And one of the things I've seen, just in terms of the spiritual atmosphere, when Meg and I first moved into our home, we're on this street, and our next-door neighbors were like the most kolohe troubled family you could imagine. So we're talking bloody fights in the middle of the street. One kid in the, who lived in the house would throw beer bottles over fences and smash on people's houses. Another one would go and steal stuff out of people's mailboxes. Um, screaming, yelling constantly, cops there twice a week kind of thing. This is actually what we lived with for like six, seven months when we first moved into our house. The spiritual atmosphere of our street was so hindered by the culture of fear of we don't want to go out onto the street because we don't know what's going to happen. And so long story short, when we would come home, we'd go, come home, we'd try to keep the kids inside. If we heard screaming, we'd turn the music up, these kinds of things. We would adjust to this sort of like activity that was going on. And it was also part of Meg and I's mission, we felt like, to actually go and minister to them. So we'd engage with conversations with them, like, hey, you guys okay? You guys thought about this? You guys getting help? You guys trying to work things out? So we'd always be constantly pursuing them in that way. But here's the thing. Long story short, they actually got evicted. And when they got evicted... They came, they brought a giant dumpster, the new family that moved in, brought a giant dumpster, and they loaded everything. When I say everything, everything. They loaded not just old furniture and clothes and the mess that was in the house. They loaded everything into the dumpster. Then they're like, 
we still smell cigarettes in the cabinets, right? And so they ripped all the cabinets and throw them out. And they're like, the curtains still smell like ganj. So they're like, let's rip these curtains down and throw them in the dumpster. Every little bit of a reminder of the family that was in there before got cleaned out. And we went over there and I said, hey, what are you guys doing in this house? And they're like, we're taking out everything. We want no memory of what was going on here. We're starting new. And so it was cool because we had just painted. I, we donated a bunch of paint. We said, guys, use this paint inside. Paint your roof, paint your ceiling. So we got to help them out, actually helped them with a little labor. Just get them going and rebuilding their family, rebuilding this house. So the new family that moved in, as soon as they went in, the old family went out. We saw something where the entire block, I kid you not, we talk, Meg and I talk about this all the time, the entire block, the spiritual atmosphere changed. There was something that lifted spiritually, and we could all enjoy. We'd all start hanging out in the street. We're on a cul-de-sac. So all the neighbors would start coming and talking story. We've never, everyone just stuck to their own houses all the time. We got, came out, we started having fun. We had a block party. We started doing all these things because that presence had left and a new presence had come. Isn't that cool? I don't know if you've noticed this before, but I have in a very tangible way that the Lord wants to not just change you and I, but to use us as agents of change for entire spiritual climates. Now, when we have that kind of vision for our life, God's going to call you to something higher. In this case, what we're talking about today is he's calling us to a family. What does your family look like and how does your family culture help shape an atmosphere bigger than what you've currently experienced? And if many families, I just want to say a disclaimer, many families in here, I, I get it. And people have been coming to me like, Pastor Mark, love talking about Ohana, but it's also a sore spot because mine's really broken. And I didn't have dad growing up. I didn't have this. I didn't have a great marriage growing up. I'm broken. I only saw divorce and brokenness and this and that. And I want to just encourage you that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, two things. Number one, The first promise is that God is a redeemer, which means we always have the opportunity to reset things that have been dysfunctional. Amen? There's always moments for that. That's what we're going to talk about today. How can we actually change the culture of our family and not just parents, but kids too? Even if you're like, my parents are on the mainland, guess what? You still have a voice to change that culture. Amen? I'm removed from them. I don't really talk. You still have an opportunity. So everybody who's connected to family members, you have something to add value to in your family culture. Amen? The other promise, number two, is this, is that where our human families lack, Jesus says it this way, who is my brother? Who is my mother? It's the one who do the will of the Father with me. I give them the right to be children of God. They're the ones who are my brothers and sisters. So this right here, if your home family, your, your earthly family, you find too dysfunctional for God to do anything through, A, I think he can still yet. Just hold on. But also, this family might be what God is, the the spiritual family of God covers where our our human families have lacked. Amen? So this becomes a place where you can find family. We genuinely believe that. So I want to ask, this is the big question. Well, Pastor Mark, how do we build godly family culture? I don't know if you've asked that question before. If you're like me, maybe you've thought about it, but you don't want to ask it out loud because you know it comes with men. Shoot, I got to do something, right? We love the status quo of our families when they, we just, we go home, we watch sports, me and my dad grunt together, and then we turn off the TV and go to bed, right? That's our family culture. If you dream with me that God, the Lord wants something more than the status quo of our families as they currently are, then we have to ask this question. What could God do if he built his godly f- culture within our families? And so here's a quick, th- quick three things 
that we're going to talk about today, they're going to be really fast, I promise. The three ways, three things that we steward well, it all comes down to stewardship. It's number one, stewardship of your words. That's how you're going to build a culture. The mastery of your mouth. Also, how do you steward your time? That's also going to dictate the culture of your family. And lastly is, how do you steward your resources? Pastor Rick most largely covered that one last week, so I'd encourage you to go back. Sermons are all online. Hallelujah. Go back and watch that one. We're going to focus on these two today, stewarding our words and stewarding our time so that our family culture might change from the inside out. Amen? Ephesians 4 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up others as needed for the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear it. This is a powerful verse. I grew up thinking this verse meant don't swear, right? That's it. Just don't swear. Don't say bad things, and then you're good to go. It's way bigger than that. No corrupting talk come out of your mouth. What is it saying? Don't let any words, good or bad words, come out if they're corrupting somebody or something around you. What does corrupting mean? Corrupting means it's tearing down from the identity that God has actually placed on it or them. Does that make sense? Corrupting is ruining something good by the, the words that I'm speaking. I'm corrupting it. There's a, I'm twisting it. Most oftentimes, it's not that we're straight up insulting things, but we're twisting, we're skewing, we're harassing or mocking, and things happen. And that talk that's coming out of our mouth isn't helpful for building others up. It is actually slowly pulling people down. We have families. This is real life. Meg and I both had families like this, and middle children. Any middle ch- children in the family this morning? Come on, somebody. You guys know this more than any, uh, anybody. We, uh, I see you, Auntie. So when we're middle children, here's the thing we have to deal with that people don't get. We take the most, like, insults as terms of endearment. Isn't that true? We get ragged on. Sometimes youngest. If you're the baby, too, you guys get a lot of this, too. But here's the thing. I grew up, oh, Mark, he's so dumb right? We have this family saying, right? Oh, Mark, he's so nice, but he's dumber than a bag of hammers. That's literally what my family would tell you growing up about me. Like, who's Mark in your family? Oh, he's a nice guy, but he's, he's dumber than a bag of hammers. So what does this do, right? And it's fun, and I, I laughed at it. I never felt offended by it. But what I realized over time, it wasn't until later in life, and I got married, where my wife was like, you realize you're not actually that dumb, right? Huh. Huh. But I started believing things because they were being deposited, even through humor, even through jest, in his term of endearment. I could see that. I felt love in it. That's the irony. I would feel love when my brothers would tease me, when my parents would tease me, whatever. But I realized, man, this actually was corrupting me over the time because it made me believe something that wasn't actually true about me. So this is all of us. Um, sometimes we have to watch just not just the content of what we're saying, but the way by which we're, see- we're saying it. And it also says this, you know, here's the big idea. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only what's good for building others up. So we want it to encourage and lift up others as needed for the occasion. So there are times and occasions, I remember this story, a great story, where a man who's a pastor now went to prison for all sorts of promiscuity and such terrible reasons. And he said when he got to prison... He had a a fire and brimstone roommate in his cell. And that fire and brimstone roommate would just start, blah, 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 you're a sinner, you need to repent, and blah, 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 and you're just a worm in the dirt, and he was just going at him. 
most of us in most situations will say, this isn't, this is more corrupting talk than anything. This isn't encouraging me and building me up. But for the occasion he was in, it was the word of God that he needed to hear to get himself on his feet. So sometimes there's a little bit of, like, we have to be open and flexible. And he says that was his turning point in his faith, where he said, I got to stop and put my old ways behind and I got to turn and go and go in the right way. So only it's as needed for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Most oftentimes when you preach hell and brimstone, people don't feel grace. But in that moment, for some reason, he did. But here's the thing. When you speak to people, do you cover them with grace? Is grace what's actually invading the atmosphere? That's what we're asking. In parents, when we argue, when we fight, right, in front of the kids especially, are we illustrating what grace looks like? When we're taking insults from the kids, if you have a five-year-old, you know what I mean. Am I showing grace by how I respond to my kids, yeah? And even for adult kids in the room who maybe are trying to leave your parents because it's so, such a struggle to live in the same house when you're a grown person and they're like, ah, and they're still treating you like a kid, right? Does the way you talk to your parents without snapping back and talking back, are you showing grace? Is grace covering your conversations with them? These are all questions to ask. Proverbs 18, check this out. It gets even better. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. Those who love it eat its fruits. Here's what it's saying. It doesn't just mean bad words are bad for people and good words are good for people. Here's what it's saying. Life and death are on the tongue and it's confusing. Think about the Garden of Eden. There's two trees with fruits. God gave clarity, don't eat this one. But in our own human judgment, it can be tricky to discern which one is which. Your tongue, we have to discern this well, because if we feed, or if we, if we um, so say it this way, if we speak things with rotten fruit, people will still eat it. And if we speak things with good fruit, people also still eat that. It says this, those who love it, whether it's good or bad, are going to eat it. How many of you have jumped on a gossip train before? It's a great example. Yeah. Oh, no hands going up. You guys are holy, holy smokes. Come on, girl. There's some, yeah, some confession in the house. That's what we need. No, but this is real. When we gossip, what are we doing? We're using our tongue to poison the atmosphere and people eat it up. When we slander someone, if you're slandering someone that I've always wanted to slander, but you're the one saying it, I'm going to eat that fruit all day. Amen? This is what happens. This is even the rotten fruit that comes out of our mouth. People want to eat it up. Those who love it will eat its fruits. What our kuleana is as a church is to use such beautiful language in the way that we speak life into people that people see that fruit and they're like, I want to participate in that. Amen? I want, that's a good fruit. That's not a rotten fruit. That's actually good for the soul. It's good for transformation. It's good for seeing people come to life the way that we speak over people. So this is in our family. How are we stewarding our words. And last verse, there's a ton in the Bible. Matthew 12, this is where it gets hot. Jesus makes it spicy. Either make, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. He says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Same idea as what Proverbs was saying. You brood of vipers, he's saying to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are so evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's the big question for us. The culture of language in our home 
isn't just about how do I change my words. It's what? It's what heart is this coming out of? It's deeper transformational work that the Holy Spirit wants to engage with us. Here's a really interesting thing. There's a study, this guy named John, Mark, his name, I think, Mark Manson. Mark Manson was a researcher. This was just a handful of years ago. He put out a study over 1,500 married couples. In 1,500 married couples, he wanted to know these had all been married 20, 30, 40 years. What he realized was, we get a lot of our marriage advice from people who are divorced. In other words, people divorced said, don't do this, this, and this, and that, and then you won't get divorced. And so we, and it's good, that's super helpful. But what he realized was, I want to hear from the people who have just been thriving at marriage. What do they say is the key to success to a long marriage? And this is what he found, which was really, really interesting. Here's a quote. He said, in 1,500 couples, people who have gone through divorce will talk about how communication is the saving grace of marriage. Talk openly, talk frequently, talk about everything. And it's true. A lot of couples that go through divorce, and there's no judgment in the room. God has grace over families who have been divorced. But a lot of them will tell you our communication was terrible. So they'll say, communication, communication, communication. Talk frequently. Talk about everything. That's good. And he says, there's merit to that. But what we realize, we as his research team, talking to 15 couples that have been married 30, 40 years and more, is that what they talked about most was respect. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I love my spouse, when I have a deep respect for her or for him, my mouth can't help but follow. Isn't that true? So this is really what's got the heart of the problem, is we can help and shameless plug right after the service, Megan and I are going to help give everybody tools to help fight and communicate well, okay? Be there right after here. We're going to meet right here. But here's the thing. If we fix our communication but don't fix the source of where our communication is coming from, we're going to keep repeating ourselves. So I can say, okay, I'm not going to use this word anymore, but I'm still angry and bitter at you in my heart. And we all of us are fostering some of this for family members, not just spouses. But how do we feel about some of our kids, our estranged kids? How do we feel about cousins even? Maybe you have family members that you used to be tight with and you're not tight anymore. How about tutus in the house and tutus with grandkids or tutus with your kids? This goes deep and wide with all sorts of different relationships. The point is this, is that everybody who has healthy relationships for a long period of time is going to tell you this. Learn to live with a deep cherishing of the other person. Find love in your heart for them that will keep them at a high elevation. And even, here's the thing, problems will come and go. They always do. We're not trying to resolve the problems. We're trying to have them in such a high place that when problems come... I'm not going to stoop them down in my heart to being a part of the evil that I see. I'm going to hold them up here and say, you know what? We're going to get through this together because I love you and I know who you are and I know what you're capable of. And even when you have done something to hurt me, guess what? The battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's something that has come over you, but I still love you and I still respect you. And so when we hold a high respect for those we love, the words are going to follow. I believe that. Anybody with me this morning? Amen. Amen. So keep them in high respect. So this is the the question for everybody. What kind of talk has been your family culture? Has there been joking? I noticed this too. I got called out the other day because um, 
a friend, a group of men that would meet together. We're all talking, and they started kind of like getting into a personal space with me, and I started just cracking jokes. And they're like, you're deflecting. I'm like, no, I'm not. Hey, squirrel, right? So like, this is what I've been doing. I use humor to deflect. And they're realizing like, oh, we're touching on something that's important. Mark, tell us why this is a sensitive spot for you. The talk in my realized what I, growing up, and this is just my context as being a third born, I was like the, the clown of the family and all this kind of stuff, always looking for attention, is when things got too serious, I would want to deflect with humor and lighten the mood. And it's a type of talk that I've gotten used to and it's set in our culture. So even my kids, when I try to have, inter- I've noticed this, when I try to have important conversations with my kids, they start making potty jokes. I'm like, what you guys doing? And I'm like, that was pretty funny. But what are you doing? I'm trying to get serious. And so that culture that I have never addressed of avoiding serious conversations, I'm now actually seeing it take place in my kids. And by God's grace, they're not going to carry it. I'm going to call it out, and they're not going to live in that. Amen. But here's the thing. But that's the whole thing, is we have the power through God's Spirit to press reset on some of these broken systems that we see in our families. But what kind of talk culture has been in your family? Or do you yell at each other? Is everyone gentle? Is everyone passive with their words so nobody says anything? And you hold it back. And when things are supposed to be said, nobody says nothing, right? Is that your culture? So everybody's culture is different. But what we want to get to is center ourselves to a godly way of communicating with wholeness. And with, um, Paul would say it this way. He says, speaking in tongues is okay because it edifies yourself. But know what's even better? Prophesying. Because that gift is you build up the whole community. This is actually the goal for the Christian is to speak God's truth over other people. And it'll see them all be edified. So we can't hold our tongues. We bite our tongues when it wants to be in the flesh, but we, can't, we release our tongues when the Spirit of God is flowing through us. And we don't stop speaking. And we open our mouths, even if we sound dumb and we just start pouring life into people. And that reservation sometimes to bite our tongues when we want to give life to people is actually what the Lord is saying, get rid of that thing. Why are you putting a bag clip on your tongue right now? You have something beautiful to say, say it. I don't care if that's your waiter and you just met them. Say it, Right? Say something beautiful. Say something. Tell them how amazing they are. Tell them what the Lord has stirred your heart to say. Just say it. (laughs) Come on. And then some of you, some of us do. This is me too. Sometimes I got to bite my tongue. But it's true. I got to say it. Ooh, it's true. But is it loving? Is this tactful? Is this actually going to edify that person or is it just going to tear them down? Sometimes we love to use truth as a tool to tear other people down. The goal is still, it might seem justified because it's true, but it's still not doing what God's asked us to do, to edify people, to build them up with our words. So what would that look like to shape the way I speak something, to not tear someone down, but to use truth and give positive correctional feedback in a way that brings love and life to them? Really important question. Again, more hints right after the service. So the other thing too, We're not just shaped with our words, and your words can shape your family culture, but we're also shaped with time. How do you spend time as a family? How do you spend your time as a person within your family? Do you spend investment time back to your family, or is family the place you get recharged to go invest somewhere else? It's a real question. And this is something, too, we're going to talk about a quick, quick philosophy of time. We have three basic views of time. We have Eastern, we have Western, and we have the best turn. I'm just going to say the biblical. Biblical view of time. This is really important. What the Eastern view of time says is this. Time is cyclical. cyclical. 
And so your time here on earth, do your best, but it doesn't matter. I mean, if it's like where karma and reincarnation comes in from. So if you do a good job, the next life you'll be a lion. If you do a great job, next life you'll be a king, right? And what happens is you go through this time, you frame time in the Eastern mindset as, oh, I'm just stopping by. But I'm going to just keep going around the loop and the loop. And there's no real final destination, is there? There's nothing to look forward to other than maybe next circle will be better than this circle, right? Then we have the Western view of time, which imagine like an arrow. It's linear, classic Western. Sorry, I'm coloring that in, OCD. So the Western time says this. You are here. This is where you muck die dead. So that's your, that's your tombstone, okay? Uh, so this is where you die. I don't, that looks weird. So this is just, I'm going to put it here. Die. Okay. All of us are going to live and die. Amen? Let's pray. Go home. All right. This is the Western framework of time. We live on a linear time, and so we do things like this. I got to get everything in before I die. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes only once in a lifetime, right? So here's what we do. We make a bucket list. Come on, somebody. We spend our lives making bucket lists as if to add notches on our arrow. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And our meaning comes from how many notches did we earn before we die? And it's like, is that it? (laughs) Is that life? Is that time? Where does family fit here? Family fits on, hey, you're only in our family for a little bit, but the next round to go, you'll be in a different family. So you're just, we're just rented space. We're a rented family for the time being. Where does family fit in the Western model? The family fits in is, as long as you can help me live my best life, who does the center around? Me. I get one shot. I get one life. I can only live once. So your job as parents is to serve me. Your job as my kids is to make me feel good about myself. Your job as family members, household members, is to drive my purpose. It's very easy in the Western model of thinking about time as a linear arrow, is to think that life is pointed here and I'm going to die, so i got to make this thing about me. It's the big lie that we believe. But there's a better way. Everyone say, better way. The Bible talks about something, and it's kind of Jewish thinking, but it talks about time as if it is a spiral. There is a circular motion to it, but... The circles get bigger and bigger, and they all point towards a coming day. There is an end point when Christ returns, where Christ returns and makes all things whole again. Now, this is what I love about this way of thinking about time, is that we don't feel the pressure and the stress to finish some kind of bucket list before we die. It actually takes anxiety off. Why? Because life is about going through certain motions and patterns. And as I go through life, I grow a little bit. And as I grow, the next step of growth, the Lord's going to lead me in a new way. But I find myself coming back to truth, the truth of Christ, the truth of He in me is the hope of glory. So as we spiral upwards towards Christ, we're heading in the direction We're understanding, too, that life at the same time is offering us beautiful patterns of repetition and love and connection. So even if we get divorced here and we feel like our life is over and our family is over, guess what? There's another loop coming. And that loop is pointing me towards Christ. Amen? This is the redemption. Time in the sense of redemption. And guess what? Even when Christ comes, the spirals keep going because we live for eternity. There is no final end point in Christ because He is eternal. 
And so eternal life is not just this thing that God says, oh, this is what you humans want, right? Here's a gift. Live forever. God says, no, to be with me as an eternal God, you're going to have to live forever if you're going to be with me. He's the eternal one. In our relationship with God, we're going to live eternally because that's what's going to be required for us to have an actual connection with the Father. So this is where it's a beautiful way to look at time, and I'll tell you a couple reasons why. Because this gives us direction for our family culture. How does this impact my family now? It means that I can implement things into our family that we don't have the stress of, I got to do this before my kids grow up. I got to do this before my kids go off to college. I got to do this before my parents pass away. All of these time frame issues that we have here, we can say, you know what? We can just start letting rhythms happen into our life. There's a cadence. There's a dance to life with Christ. There's a flow that we get to have, and it's a beautiful flow, and our families can start following this type of rhythm. And so I want to get really practical and talk about this. When we steward our time for the Lord, we're talking about what does it look like to enter this rhythm of time and to allow the Spirit to come in and shape us and mold us where we're at in due season with a target towards Jesus. And the first thing is we're going to get really practical. And because if I want you guys to go home and actually like think and process, what would it look like to have a better family culture? Young married couples, quick disclaimer, or about to get married couples, this might be the most important thing if you're newly married to start setting in motion now. Your kids and grandkids and everyone else under your household in years to come will say mahalo for taking the time to do this because it will bless everybody. So don't say this is a later thing to come. You can do this now. But number one is this. Rhythms in our ohana are shaped by family mission and vision. It's shaped by our family mission and vision. A lot of times our broken families are broken. Why? Because they don't have a vision for what the family's supposed to do. Again, we talked about that weeks ago. So you can go back and, and read. What is the mission? What is the purpose of the family? So it's shaped by mission and vision. And I want to give you a really cool idea is in the next picture, I was at a friend's house, and he lives on Maui, and you might see him on YouTube. His name is Jeff Bethke, and he's really big on this idea. He said this. They have this banner on their wall. This is what it means to be a Bethke, to be under this household. Look at, you you don't have to read all the words, but apprenticeship to Jesus, that is a core value. Family is a team. The table is a place of connection and unity. Generosity It's a big part of our family culture. We want to be a generous family. We want to create things together. We don't want to just survive. We actually want to contribute to this world in a meaningful way. What a cool thing for a family to say, a family to do. We want to have rhythms where we follow Jesus. You think about the old Jewish traditions, the old Jewish ceremonies and feasts. Every year there's something. Every week there's something. There's there's always these, um, these rhythmic influences in our family culture multi-generational and health. We want to feed our bodies well. We also want this to be multi-generational. We want to rebuke the Western culture that says separate from the grandparents and send your aunties and uncles. Everyone has their own little nuclear family, but say we can actually live together in a multi-generational fashion to where the old can pour into the young and the young can bless the old. And everyone in between lives in a different kind of way. Amen? So here's a cool idea. I want to just press you guys. Would this be something that would add value? Here's why I think it would. I stepped into the house when I saw this, and I was like, I know exactly the purpose of everything that they do as a family. So when they call prayer, prayer meetings before dinner, 
when they do this, when they do chores in this way. Why? It fits the vision. The Bible says this, without vision, people perish. People fall away. What would happen if we had such a clear vision as if we were a team, like we're a business, we're, an op- we're a corporation of a sort? What would happen if we had such a clear vision and mission for our family that kids and grandparents and aunties and uncles and our Hanaid family could all come into that and find a role in it? That would be really, really beautiful. What would happen to the spiritual atmosphere of that home if something like this hung on the wall and everyone did their best to live under that mandate? What would happen to the whole neighborhood if you have a, a family that's operating fluidly in this space? Dreaming with me. God can do crazy things, transformational things, through a simple mission and vision of the family. And this is like, might seem overkill. You're like, wow, Pastor Mark, you want me to print out one vision statement for our family and put them up on the wall? I'm saying this, try it. <laughs> See if anything changes. It might not work for you. But I would say this, it's at least worth the effort of saying this is who we are as a family, especially men. We talked about this at Men's Breakfast. This is who we are as own family. We're framing it around Christ and we're going to make God known through our family. Amen? So here's shaped our family mission and vision. Here's another rhythm. Family meetings and Sabbath. This is one thing that's changed my outlook, my upbringing. My parents were pretty good at it. We want to be really good at this too. But family meetings where you can actually check in with all the family members. How are you guys doing? What's hard? What are you struggling with? How can we help you? How can we be a support to you? What you'll notice is even the youngest ones in our families will share stuff that you didn't know that they were going on. It's a free space to support one another. Sabbath is, um, put it this way, Sabbath is a weekly time to the, for the family to rest and do life-giving activities together. But it's a rhythm. Every week, we can expect Sabbath. Every month, we can expect a family meeting. You see what I'm saying? And the great thing is, is here, if you're trying to make goals, goals are hit or miss. If I set a goal for my family and we make it, this is what happens. Like New Year's, you guys know New Year's resolutions. I set a goal for my family. We missed it. We botched it. Ah, might as well never try that again, right? When it's a rhythm, oh, we missed it. We'll try it on the next go. Oh, we missed a monthly meeting. Let's try it next month. There's no condemnation. There's no shame for missing a goal. Like this type of time frame is going to give you that same kind of pressure. This one is add it to the rhythm. Add it to the dance of your family and see if it adds spiritual weight, spiritual value to your home. I believe it will. Family meetings, and most of you are like this. Family meetings like this, taking a look at this picture, like get the family together, get a chart out. This is me. This, like, I take this home. I don't know if you knew that. I take this home during the week, and I like, get my kids in front of it and like, whoop, whoop, whoop. just kidding. This is overkill. Some of you guys are teachers, and you're like, this looks amazing. I want to do this. Here's the thing. It doesn't have to look like this. Family meetings are just check-in points. It's points where you guys can just come together. It might just be on the couch informally, and maybe right after school, everyone goes and hits the couch, and you're just like laying around. It's a good time to check in. Hey, how are you guys doing? How are we doing as a family? And this is a place where you can check your... You see, they have a chore chart there, right? You can check chores and these things, but you can also just check the mission. Hey, are we still actually... Loving people the way God's called us to love as a family. For those of us with young kids, they'll call you out on that. Dad, you said that we're supposed to be doing this and this and that. Why aren't we doing it? Shoot. 
good question. We ought to do this better. But that's why, again, every member has a valuable input, especially as your kids get older. But your meeting doesn't have to be this formal. It's just a regular rhythm of checking in, seeing how people are doing, and checking in with feedback on the mission. And some of the cool things that I've seen, I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to take us um, at Christmas. There's a place in Kailua that had... Um, people who were halfway off of the streets and before they were living and flourishing, getting jobs and stuff like that. And we'd go have Christmas with these people in a small apartment building. And we'd come and we'd bring presents for everybody and it'd just be our family. And us as boys, we'd just feel so uplifted afterwards. We're like, Dad, we want to serve more. We want to do more things like this. And what happens is, what you'll realize is if a family serves together, very unlikely your kids are going to squabble about who gets to hold the iPad in the back of the car. Because there's, so, there's a higher purpose that everybody's focused on. It's not focused on me anymore. It's actually focused on us and what the Lord is doing through us as we all pursue Christ together. So this is what I want to just encourage you is, man, make these times, meetings, intentional with your kids, intentional with your family, your kupuna. Bring tutu auntie and tutu man back in it and just be like, hey, we need your input. You guys have wisdom. We need your input into our family. The next one is this. Another rhythm to add would be new and old family traditions. New and old family traditions. I asked a bunch of friends on social media this week, what are some of your favorite family traditions? And it's funny, most of the family traditions I got weren't crazy things that people would do every week. It was once a year that everybody loved. I love giving BBDs right before Christmas. I don't know why, but everybody loves that one. We all get new pajamas, new underwear right before Christmas. Why? I don't know, but everybody loves it. What is it about that that makes us love that tradition? One guy told me, he said, I like every time that Eddie was on, the big surf competition in December, he says, my dad would let me cut school for three days so that we could go up there and drive and camp out and wait for the competition to happen. And he says, best time with my dad ever. That's what he remembers the most. One thing a year a single tradition can absolutely shape the heart of somebody in your family because love can manifest itself. It's so beautifully when. Why does traditions matter? Because we can look forward to them. Every year we have Christmas. Yes. Every year I have this celebration. Yes. And every year I get to participate in it. And every year I can, multi-generations, we can have family stories and we can remember and reminisce about the old times when we used to do this tradition. And so traditions are passed down generation to generation because they remind us of the beauty that God has put in our family, the purpose of by which he's called us to, and that unique identity of our culture. This is who we are. This is why we say, hey, man, add traditions. This is a great thing for family meetings. Sit with your family and be like, we should have some new family traditions. The old ones are amazing, but what would be something that we can start that's unique to us? Yeah? And there's some... There's, Really cool things, and I wish I could give all the examples, but we'll move on just for time. But ask yourselves, what traditions are currently in the vibe of your family, in the flow of your family? And the last one is this, family blessing time. This is where our time and our words might have the most impact. It's like, what is family blessing time? A blessing in Scripture is we do this, when someone sneezes, bless you. When God gives us stuff, we say, oh, this is a blessing. Have you ever thought about this question? Spiritually speaking, what is a blessing? What does it mean to be blessed? The Bible would say it in a really simple way. I'll put it in these terms. That a blessing is declaring that the life and flourishing of the goodness of God is being manifested onto somebody in that moment. 
So I'm blessing you with the goodness and the provision and the faithfulness of God. It's his blessing. He's the source. I'm just the one speaking it over you. And I tell you this, we started this one with our family. It's bringing me to tears when you watch your kids bless each other. And it's better than saying, oh, I like Jude. Micah's five. I like Jude because Jude is good at sports. That's cool. But when he says, bless you, Jude. Bless you, you're a great brother to me. It's like, oh, right? Make, but it comes from their own heart. But what are they doing when they say bless you? Why does the word matter? It's because they're, they're calling out a spiritual destiny that each person has, and that's going to bring relationships together. Blessing time. If you don't take time to bless people in your family, it takes time. Because if you're running and you're like grabbing things, throwing it in the car, and hey, bless you, it doesn't mean much. But when you have intentional time together and you think through it and the Lord speaks to you, hey, bless your mom for this. Kids, when it says, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, you can also replace that with bless your parents. Bless them. Mom, dad, you're working hard. I just want to bless you for that. We see that, and I know it's hard for you, but I just want to honor you. I want to bless you. God's blessings over you as you go. And we feel, when someone has blessed us, we feel as if God has blessed us himself. Isn't that true? Because that's actually the power we have in Christ Jesus, is to bless others as we have been blessed. So here's, a, here's the passage where we go to for blessing. Matthew 5. You guys know this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a framework of how you can bless people within your own families. Blessed are you, son or daughter, because you're poor in spirit. Poor in spirit just means you have no need or desire for greatness in your own heart because you just rely on the goodness of God. Blessed are those who mourn for you're comforted. Is your family going through a hard time? You can bless someone in your family who's going through a tough time and saying, bless you for mourning because that's what Jesus is saying. Those who are blessed in the kingdom are the ones who mourn. The ones who are blessed in the kingdom are those who are meek. Meek means you have power and authority, but you're holding it back to show love and grace and compassion to someone. You're choosing to submit yourself to somebody else. Blessed are you, you're inheriting the earth. Blessed are you, youngest borns, who want to scrap your oldest sibling all the time. Right? This is real. That's meekness. But you hold it back. Or, or oldest borns, who want to tell all your younger siblings what to do. But you hold back and say, I'm going to love you instead. Bless that meekness. That's going to inherit you the kingdom of the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jude, the way that you saw those homeless people out the window when we were driving home, and you asked, why is it that other people have, don't have stuff when we have everything we need? I want to be a person that gives to them. When you see that in your kids, bless you, Jude, because you see life the way that the Lord sees it. Bless you for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Amen? This is what we're saying. Bless them. Bless them, bless them when they, you see the Spirit of God alive in them. And this is what's at risk when we don't bless. So we blast. Bless, no blast. We blast people for all the things they're doing wrong, and we fail to see the Spirit of God working in them. Bless them reminds your heart that God is in them and moving, and they're valuable members of your family. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The last verse is, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Great one for young kids. 
Dad, how come I can't see God? How come when we pray, I don't hear his voice? Bless you, babe, because you have a pure heart. You're going to see God. That's the reward. Blessed are the peacemakers. Bless you, Dad, for calming down everybody when they're scrapping. Bless you, Mom, for stepping in the middle of things. You're called a child of God because peacemakers are huge receivers of blessing in the, in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Folks, listen, this is really important. A time of blessing in your family itself, I think, can powerfully change the culture of your family. Bless people in your family. Make it a habit. Make it a rhythm to continue to find space and time to use your words to uplift people by blessing and prophesying over them. And I believe this, and I've seen this. I could give you so many examples of where I've seen this in church ministry. I've seen this in other places where the, the gift of speaking life over to people when it's implemented and habituated is the biggest deal breaker for the kingdom of hell fleeing so that the kingdom of God can flourish. So when there's brokenness and darkness and things in our family, this is the thing that clears the deck. No longer are we going to speak lies and falsehoods over each other. No longer are we going to make time for our own selfish reasons. Now we're going to make time and sit with each other and bless each other. It's powerful. Powerful. People ask me all the time, Pastor Mark, you're a pastor. Can you come bless my house? Okay. Come bless my business. Awesome. Amen. What I've realized over time, I can never bless a space without blessing the people who dictate the culture of that space. Say it again. You can't bless a space without blessing the people who dictate the culture of that space. So if I'm blessing a home, I'll bring the couple into it. And I said, this is what God's casting over your life and your marriage right now. This is what God is going to do in your family. This is the blessing that you hold as a family. Bless you, bless you, bless you. And by the way, bless this house. Bless your business. You're a business owner. You have a, you have a duty in this community to serve well and to make a living for your family at the same time. Bless this business. But know what? First and, first, first and foremost, bless you. Bless you for loving your family, for loving your church, for loving your community well. Bless this business because your heart is in the right place. Are you tracking? Amen. So I want to just encourage you with this, because if we spend time in our words and we bless, I genuinely believe this, the culture of your family is going to change. Absolutely. And I don't know about you guys, I want to dream what could happen if what would it look like if all of us walked into something like that where we started implementing rhythms of new traditions, new ways of experiencing blessing, reading scripture together, praying together. And you can screw up and mess up as much as you want, but you get to try again and try again until you get better and better until Christ comes. And Christ is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you pursued me and your family saw the fruit that I wanted to bear through you as a family while you were here on earth. Amen? So, Here's what I want to do is um, invite the worship team up, and we're going to end with a prayer. If you're here with your family, we want you to actually pray with your family. And I'm going to read it out loud, and then we'll spend time praying for these things together after. So this is this. This is a prayer for the household. Father, bless us in our home. Bless the keiki. Bless the makua. Bless 
the tutus that invest so richly into our team. Guide our words as we steward through our lips the life that you have first poured into us. Allow us each to find our role. Allow us to find our call and to build up those closest to us. Lord, bless our efforts to become one and to be a light to all those around us. Let grace abound where we may fail. And Jesus, may the rhythms of our life be pleasing and welcoming to your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're a family, um, would you just turn together? And we just ask you to pray this out loud together. If you want to pray something different, awesome. If you're not with your family, pray on your own or pray turn to someone next to you and say, hey, can I pray with you? Because in this house, we are a family. So we'd love to just see you pray this. And here's why we're praying it. I want you to catch this before we pray. It's not just about putting banners on the wall and doing great traditions and all these kinds of things. Those are all amazing, but they're pointing towards something, right? Here's what it's pointing to. That your family would become a conducive environment to the Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't just have to dream that our family would go out there to experience God, but everything that we do and we experience God out there, we can actually experience Him in the same way in our home. We want fertile soil in our houses because we want the Lord to grow our children there. We want us as fathers and husbands and cousins and aunties and everyone attached to the household, we want that to be a place where we're discipled. So we're asking, Lord, Holy Spirit, help us to build a culture that's conducive to you coming and doing your thing. Does that make sense? So everything that we talked about, all these great ideas are just ways to say, Lord, welcome here. May we not find home as a retreat from God, but may God dwell so richly in our homes that for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. May that be the the edification of each one of our households in this room. So may it not be about the things we do, but more about the unique fingerprint that God has put on each one and said, this is what your family is called to do. Go walk out that kuleana. Go live in that. Go malama the things I've given you. So turn to your families and pray this together. Lord, bless us as a family. Bless, parents, bless your kids. Kids, bless your parents. If your kid's in this room, we're just gonna take a minute of just blessing, blessing one another in the house. And if we're with your family, you can grab hands with your family. We're going to pray this over you guys, your household. And just grab hands with whoever's next to you, because we're all family. <laughs> we're all on this upward spiral into eternity together. Amen. Lord, I just cover every household here. We thank you, Lord, for the life and the transformation that the potential of Holy Spirit radically moving through each person, each household here. We pray, God, for an unleashing of that potential right now as we go home. 
We pray, God, for confessions of sin and anger and bitterness towards one another to come on the table. We pray, God, for repentance against ways in which we've been dishonoring to folks in our families. We pray for the spirit of forgiveness to radiate, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just, and you forgive us of our sins, and you purify us from all unrighteousness. So may the gospel of freedom live in our families where there is no shame, no condemnation for things that have happened. Father, but there is nothing but a father with arms wide open, ready to reconcile all that has been lost. So Father, may we emulate that spirit. May parents receive their kids. May kids receive their parents. May grandparents bless their kids. May aunties and uncles come in and support and love and uphold the house. Jesus, we just pray that as we go out from here, that we would remember our calling to be unified as a family, to find faith as one body, and to live a life of fruitfulness and productivity, that our town might know the goodness of our God because of what he's done in us. So Jesus, we're praying for more testimonies in the making right now. God, repair our families. Repair what has been broken. And Jesus, for those of us who have been rocking in healthy familyness, God, give us people for them to mentor and them to pour their wisdom into. For those who have been making these kinds of investments for years, may you give them opportunities to lead and to teach and to show other people the way of Christ in our families. We pray, Jesus, that the spirit of forgiveness would radiate with such a power and such a might that all else would fall off. All grudges, all disappointments, all let down expectations, that those things would just crumble off because great love have we because of he who has first loved us. So Jesus, we remember that day on the cross where you gave it all and you said, it is finished. You left your life lying, your body on a cross so that we might actually step into a new life and say, me too, I'm laying my life down because there's something greater. Jesus, we pray for the spirit of laying down self-sacrifice, submission to one another so that the spirit of Christ in resurrection power can come alive in a brand new way. God, we thank you. I'm just seeing right now, just I feel like the Lord's giving me visions of kids who are going to start thriving more in school because their family has become an epicenter of the Holy Spirit. That there are parents who've never been able to resolve issues, married couples who fight about the same thing over and over, that that fight is going to have a whole new it's going to launch you into a new season because you found a way to work through it. That all the barriers of the past are now going to become fruitful endeavors in Christ Jesus. That what was once a curse in our family will now become a blessing. So Lord, we bless these families. We ask you, Jesus, to go eat with each one. God, help us to love well. Help us to steward the resources you've given us. And Jesus, I pray blessing on every home here. We love you and pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we give God some love?